We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday evening baseball conversation with Colin Brister as the Ole Miss Rebels take two of three from a ranked Maryland team, got into some of the pitching uh, concerns, an offense that really feels inevitable through two weekends of the season, and uh, look around the SEC and college baseball landscape as a whole. Um, not to omit the Kermit Davis news on Friday since we last had a podcast, I recorded with Bracken Sunday night as well, and that will drop on Tuesday. So if you're looking for a basketball-related podcast, we will have that for you on Tuesday. But anyway, all right, we'll get to Colin in a second. But before we do, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're into wagering, you need to use Skybox. It's the only way to profit in the long run. They crushed it in NFL and college football this year. College basketball is their bread and butter, as that their model absolutely murders it, particularly on totals um, in college basketball, hitting well over 65% on the year. You need to check them out. They have a picks package to fit your price range. All you got to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go with the year-long all-access pass. You can do it one sport-centric. You can do all sports. Whatever it is, they're going to have something to fit your price range. Buy the package. Type in the promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off, save you some cash, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before using Skybox. They'll send you daily picks in an email spreadsheet. color-coded by unit. And you will be more equipped to profit than you were before you bought it. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me as well as discounted meats. That's right now, it's a three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription and he'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. There's all kinds of delicious sausage, seafood. I like the tri-tips. Filet burgers are always awesome. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's our man, Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister, for our second Sunday recap show of the year. The Ole Miss Rebels take two of three from 13th rank Maryland. 
Um, very interesting weekend, ton to talk about, and then a Sunday game that was like a close back and forth affair, and then all of a sudden didn't make it nine innings. It was it was quite the adventurous Sunday. That felt like three games in one. How are you, my friend? Um, I'm I'm good. Um, did you notice? I was just curious. I, I didn't. I was there on Friday and Saturday, as I believe you were as well. Um, the there were no flags at half mast and at half staff, and they did continue. Um, to play baseball, even though Tony Vitello did not get to coach the baseball um, this weekend. Did did you were you some, somewhat surprised that the games continued to take place without his presence in college baseball? I did. I thought it was utterly disgraceful. No moment of silence. No nothing. It's just a, why, why is Ole Miss above honoring the some of the greats that have played have been in our great sport and our great greats. game? It's 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 very disheartening to see Ole Miss not take the opportunity to to, you know, show a little goodwill. But, uh, you know, I guess I'll have to forgive them. For Do you it. think Dave Van Horn had a moment of silence for him at their game? I bet he was distraught. I, I, I don't know what happened with Arkansas today, but if they lost, I, I could I could definitely blame it on a distracted Dave Van Horn. I'm sure he was very upset and troubled at the uh, developments in Knoxville, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 grower of the game is, is no longer with us, or was not this weekend, so um, – you know, I'm not exactly sure how college baseball survived the weekend without his presence. It's funny though, the the volunteers swept this weekend and uh, lost two or three last weekend with him. Um, and one, you know, swept without him. Maybe Tennessee's better without him. I don't know. People are starting to talk about that. I like that. Coming up next on first take, are the Vols better off without Tony Vitello? Thoughts. Oh God. Um. All right. I'll stop crapping on Tennessee now. Um, well, they're undefeated I, when he sits out. That's a good point. So. <laughs> He's there on the addition by subtraction. <laughs> Their next loss without him would be the first one of its kind ever. So something to kick around there in Knoxville if they're looking for a spark for their season. Maybe just continue to hey, fire Tony Vitello. <laughs> Light a fire under the boys, just axe him now. Um that, hey, it worked for one really team this weekend. Half staff. It worked for one team this weekend, changing coaches. Uh wait, what happened there? Oh, sorry. oh, oh, right, right. We did have an ejection. That game got interestingly uh, chippy there. No, I guess no, no, start... no, no, no. I was talking about the Ole Miss Rebels basketball team. Oh, that is true. That <laughs> My brain is like flipped on. I did a podcast with Bracken earlier that I'm not sure when I'll drop it. But um, my I, had to, I was like, right, now I'm flipping to baseball. And it just completely went over my head. That's right. Ole Miss did win a game that uh, I honestly forgot was happening. I don't know about you. Did you remember they were playing this Saturday? Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I watched, I don't know, the last six minutes or so. Um, and I just kept waiting for them to blow it and they never did. Um, which tells you two things. One, the kids are still playing pretty hard and, uh, two LSU's terrible. So uh, both <laughs> those are true. Speaking of not to uh, pile on here, but, uh, speaking of just, uh, bad surprises, I had a buddy come in town this weekend, a college buddy of mine, he lives out in Dallas and, they were wanting to go to the baseball game yesterday, and I ended up having a couple of extra tickets um, last minute. So I was like, hey, man, I got them if you need them. And he's like, actually, we uh, a buddy of mine, another buddy of ours, parents found us some tickets. I'm going to go pick them up, but we still may want to sit with y'all. So just hang tight. Let me see what the situation is. So he goes <laughs> over to wherever location is to pick up these tickets, and he calls me. He was like, we're going to be sitting with you. And I was like, wow, they bad seats or something? He was like, they're basketball tickets. They are not baseball tickets. <laughs> So he went over there thinking he's going to get baseball seats and he shows up and it's just a couple of tickets to the uh, Rebels and Tigers at 7.30 that night, which is, uh, I'm sure he was grateful to, you know, for the help finding tickets, but that was not the sporting event he was looking for. I feel like those would have been uh, more plentiful to uh, to, to gather. 
that would have been an easier one to to get in the, the getting in the door um access for the basketball game i imagine was a little bit of a colder ticket than the baseball games this weekend um that's some nice weather out there today um pretty good weekend overall for the rebels they take two or three from maryland in a weekend that i mean particularly i guess this is more pitching um induced but i didn't think it was a weekend where Ole Miss played overly well and they still no. have business and beat a top 13 opponent which i think is certainly a good sign um I do think that uh, there is there is something to the phrase, you know, good teams find ways to win. Um, even when you don't play particularly well, I don't think Mike Bianco will walk away from this weekend particularly pleased with a lot of uh, facets of his baseball team. Um, I didn't think they were particularly good defensively this weekend. Um, you know, just some errors and some misplays in the outfield and whatnot. Um, so, you know, look, this, this, this team – I feel fairly confident in saying this is going to abuse uh, mediocre to bad pitching. Um, it's the the key to this team and its success to me is, um, you know, do they have that guy that can go out there on Fridays and hold the elite level arms down long enough for your offense to get going? Um, because I think they're going to be able to hit pretty consistently Sunday guys in the SEC and for the most part Saturday guys in the league. Um, and I think that was shown this weekend. Uh, the pitching staff is, is frankly, it's it's scary right now. Um, I don't know outside. I, frankly, I don't know who this weekend you look at and said they pitched well. I mean, there were spots, but I, I don't know of anybody that took the mound outside of maybe Doherty, but he still got hit around a little bit, um, that you were pleased with from a pitching perspective this weekend. Yeah, I'm just adding it up right now as you say that. I mean, they win the series. Um, and you did so without a starter recording an out in the fifth inning. Um, the longest yes. start they got of the weekend was actually Jack Doherty, who made it four innings um, before he was relieved. But, you know, Grayson Sonnier goes two and two-thirds. Xavier Rivas goes three and two-thirds. I think each one of their starts were different stories. We're like, for the example, like, I know four innings is not exactly getting the job done on a Friday night in the SEC, but I didn't think Doherty was terrible. I thought he ran into some poor luck and then had some really uh, – I would say untimely misplaced pitches to where mistakes really compounded on him. I didn't think he was terrible the whole time. And then really with the other two guys, walks just became such an issue, right? So, uh, Sonia gets himself in trouble early three, uh, three walks. I think both of, all three of those were either in the first inning or within the first two innings of the game. And then Revis walks what four today and a couple early got him in some trouble. Whereas I thought Doherty, you know, despite, I know he went the longest, but I thought he was demonstrably better than the other two, if that makes sense. Sure. No, I will certainly go there. I think, uh, I think Doherty was, was much better than the other two, because frankly, the other two really just had a tough weekend. Um, look, the, the walks are an issue. Um, and I don't, I don't want to spend a, you know, the first part of this podcast crapping on this team because obviously they win two games against a, the 13th ranked Maryland team. Um, and the offense is certainly something to look forward to. And I think they will be really, really productive this year, but it just, I, I, I struggle to think that, uh, that level of pitching performance is sustainable, um, in SEC play. So, so the conversation is, yes, uh, the offense is as good as we thought it would be. And oh my God, they better figure out something on the mound pretty quickly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they walked 22 hitters over the weekend. Yeah, like that, that dog uh, I actually really figured it up. They uh, 29 free passes when you when you include the uh, walks and hit by pitches. Um, people were like, "When's the last time that happened?" Well, they actually gave up 28 free passes in a series against Arkansas two years ago. If you remember, um, when they almost came back from like a 15 run deficit. I remember that um, 2021. Yeah. So, so they actually had kind of had that weekend before. 
Um, but again, don't advise that weekend. Don't think that would be great for the Rebels. And some of it is, look, guys got to get comfortable, got to get settled, got to get roles settled. But it's, at the end of the day, some of it is, man, like some of these cats got their strikes. Yeah, I mean, it really is as simple as that. And I think it really, like you talk about it kind of manifesting itself. I thought like if you're if you're putting up kind of a billboard of kind of the pitching struggles, it was that fifth inning on Saturday where yeah. Old Miss had been kind of in a back and forth, lower scoring game through the first four innings. Um, I think it was two to two. Old Miss in the bottom half of the fourth gets a night, uh, pretty clutch hit from, I can't remember if that was Leger or Groff. I think it was Groff to go up four to two. And Ole Miss surrendered three runs in the top half of the fifth without, uh, without allowing a hit. Um, you know, it was kind of the classic, like it's sometimes when Glenn Waddle reads out what happens in a half inning, some sound funnier than others. And three runs on zero hits was definitely one that kind of raised some eyebrows. That was not great. Um, and then for a while in that game, I was like, man, they're really going to lose this game where they more than triple uh, Maryland's hit total. And that that would – I guess if they did end up losing that Saturday game, that felt like one they really, really would have just given away because that fifth inning was really kind of backbreaking after they took a 4-2 to lead in a game that you didn't think was going to become as high scoring as it did at the time. At least I didn't get that sense. That was a, that was a tough scene. Yeah, no. Um, it's probably as frustrated uh, as I've ever been in the stands, quite frankly, with, with, with play on. So, like, like – there's been times where, you know, almost just doesn't get it done and it's frustrating, but the, the sheer inability to throw strikes, um, and the fifth, or yeah, the fifth inning of a game on in February. And it's one thing if they're bashing it off the wall, it's another thing if you're literally just putting them on base. Um, so super frustrating there, but obviously you'd rather, you know, have those issues in a series that, that you win and are, and are able to correct, um, you know, while you win baseball games against a really good Maryland team. Um, so look, I, I think a lot of it, um, and you know, I'm not trying to get too technical here. I think some guys, especially maybe Revis and, and, and Mike might tell me I'm an idiot and I'm wrong, but, but from what I can tell, um, it looked like he was flying open a lot, which, which if, if from a technical standpoint means kind of, he's just rushing through his front side. Um, and that leads to some control issues. Now, what can you contribute that to? Some of it's nerves, quite frankly. That means you're speeding up. It means you're anxious. It means you're rushing. I think as guys get more more and more comfortable, um, they'll be able to locate pitches a lot better than they were this weekend. It's just the reality is for this pitching staff, a lot of guys have got to get comfortable really quick because, quite frankly, at this point, this weekend, they had Jack Doherty and uh, Mason Nichols and, to a little bit of an extent, Mitch Morrell, who had pitched in that stadium before, um, last weekend so it's just going to take some guys getting comfortable before you know that they're able to to execute at a high level yeah and it's interesting you mentioned that because I was going to ask if you noticed the same thing with Sonia because there's been two different occasions in both of his starts this year where he's thrown pitches like he's had a, a batter or a sequence you're like damn that was that was pretty filthy like awesome and then you can and then he'll have some where it's kind of a non-competitive at bat and it's either a four or five pitch walk and you can tell at least from my vantage point, Mike goes out there and kind of calms him down. And I, I think he even made a note of this after the first weekend in one of his press conferences about how he was kind of getting out of his, me- his mechanics for getting out of whack. Like, did you notice a similar thing that you just mentioned with Rivas um, and all? I would have to. So the reason I was able to tell it with Rivas is because I saw it on video. Um, I, I was at the game on Saturday, so I wasn't quite able. It's kind of hard to kind of hard to see, um, you know, especially with guys moving that quickly. Um so I'll be honest, I haven't watched Sonia pitch on video yet. So I'd have to, I'd have to look at it before I was able to say that. 
Well, the beauty of podcasting is you just make it up and pretend you're an expert. Um, so. <laughs> I'm actually, that's one thing I'm actually decent at is I have very little issue saying I don't know. I don't know. Yes, maybe, yes. maybe, maybe, maybe I should put that on a resume. Which, I, of course, I was kidding, which I think do people appreciate the honesty of this show where I'm never pretending to be the smartest guy in the world. If I don't know something, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I do. Let's, uh, we'll hit kind of the brief high points of each game real quick. Ole Miss loses nine to two on Friday night. In a game that really just got away from them in that seventh inning, right? They get down two to one early. Then they uh, call, uh, they get, I think it was three to one heading into the fifth or something like that. And they were still in the game and they were getting, you know, some opportunities despite not drawing any walks, if I remember correctly, in the game, limited opportunities to base runners, but you felt like they were in the game. And then the seventh inning happens. They, uh, what they bring in Morell, I believe. After, uh, yeah, they bring in Morell, and then it was Jordan Vera, and then Braden Jones came in. Excuse me, that's what I was trying to get at. He comes in, I believe it was a bases-loaded situation after Vera gave up a couple of hits and a walk, and it looked like Jones, I can't remember if it was a breaking ball or a fastball, but got something up in the zone. The kid absolutely punished it, and that felt like the end of the night. So it was a pretty competitive game up until that one inning, really things just kind of derailed for him. Yeah, you know what all three of these games felt like? Um, Monday NCAA regional games where it's yeah, they just really like, did. It's like, well, who in God's name is coming out of bullpen? Because somebody texted me yesterday um, that didn't watch the game on Saturday, but it just looked at the box score. He's like, hey, I have a question. I'm like, what's up? He's like, who's coming in after Rivas? That's a great question, and I have no idea. Um, so it just kind of felt like uh, Monday NCAA regional games all weekend. But yeah, Friday just kind of looked Doherty had the bad inning and, and kind of blew up on him a little bit from a walk standpoint. Um, and then almost just never was able to really get back into it offensively. The kid on Friday, Savicool was, was really good. He was really um, impressive that uh, he had a lot of, I just, one thing I noticed how I'm kind of sitting close and kind of by home plate is he had a ton of movement that seemed to run in on right-handed hitters that gave Ole Miss a ton of problems. Yeah. Two same fastballs. Um, yeah, he, he was really impressive. And, you know, hopefully for Ole Miss's sake, they make an adjustment um, next weekend against him because they'll face him again. Um, not sure that's good for everybody's safety that this team, these two teams are going to play again on, on Friday. Not not sure that's great for the, uh, you know, safety of the student athletes, but oh well. Um, but no, Savicool was really, really good. And uh, he was able to lay in three pitches in the zone. It was cold. It's really hard to hit when, you know, it's cold and the guy's running two seamers on your fist. Um, Maryland was just better than Ole Miss on Friday for the most part. Yeah, they really were. And, you know, Ole Miss made it, I would say, a little bit easier on him as well because while two kind of things I noticed in that Friday game was Doherty's pitch count. It happened again with uh, Sonny on Saturday, but Doherty's pitch count kind of creeps up near 50 after two innings. Then I think he's through like three innings and he's getting up near 60 pitches or may have already been into 60 pitches. Whereas on the other side, Salva Cool was just absolutely cruising. Like it became pretty evident on after the fourth inning. Again, he didn't walk anyone. Ole Miss did not draw a single walk in this entire loss, but it became pretty evident that this dude was going to be hard to get out of the game and they weren't going to eat much into Maryland's bullpen because he got through about five innings there on 50 something or 60 something pitches and was pretty efficient with the way he did it too. No, no, he was, he was really, really good. Um, Sometimes that happens, but but the key for Ole Miss is going to be finding that guy that can match guys like that. Um, you know, whether that's Hunter Elliott's okay or Jack Doherty finds himself or molds himself into that role. I'll be honest here. Uh, everybody, I've had people text me, it's like, oh, you know, the bullpen's not very good with Doherty out of it. 
in the event that Hunter Elliott does not pitch again for the Ole Miss Rebels uh, this year, I don't know how you justify starting anybody but Jack Doherty on Friday night. Um, I, I just I don't know how you can find somebody else that that is ready for that role um, this year. I'm with you. Like, that's kind of the whole thing about it is like, yes, obviously the bullpen, particularly if Elliott's out for a longer period of time, is certainly weakened when Jack Doherty is removed from it. But I mean, it's pretty a simple, like a simple question in terms of like why it has to be the case is who else would you put in there? Who else even has starting experience? I mean, it's already a roster that was already going to rely somewhat on newcomers. Then you lose another arm in mallets in the offseason. And then obviously whatever this Hunter Elliott situation turns out to be. I just don't know who else it would be. I mean, I guess could you make an argument for Mason Nichols? Maybe, but like who else on that roster could you even throw out there to give a look at starting? I know they started JT Quinn in the midweek. I thought he looked pretty good for the most part. I suppose that's an option, but you're not going to roll into the SEC with a true freshman on Friday nights that hasn't really been proven at all, right? Like I just, I'm talking in circles, but like who would even be another option? Like could you get uh, your style? Because if there was another option, they would be starting on Saturday or Sunday. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, and currently the options on Saturday or Sunday, well, I think they will be good, but you know, the time June rolls around, um, are not currently ready to pitch on Friday nights in the SEC. So, um, or frankly, in non-conference. So, you know, that it's, it's Jack Doherty, Hunter Elliott, or good luck, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, th- those are your two answers right now on Friday nights. And you're, if you're Ole Miss, you hope that either Elliott um, returns and that this injury uh, thing is just a you know ble- uh, bump in the road, or that Jack Doherty molds into the Friday guy that Ole Miss needs him to be. And kind of looking at it on Saturday, one thing I mean, Ole Miss did rebound. They win a twelve to six game on Saturday that was close for a while. They busted it open late um, there, and I guess that was in the sixth inning where they got bases loaded, no outs. Uh, excuse me, I guess it was the bottom of the was that the six? It may have been the seventh, but they get bases loaded, no outs. And then they have a pop-up and a strikeout, and you're like, oh, my God, are they going to actually find a way to not play, uh, play to run across here where they're down 6-4? to four. And then you get a huge hit from, I believe that was Jacob Gonzalez there, if I'm not mistaken. No, you got a Garrowwood walk and then a two-RBI single by Jacob Gonzalez that gave them the 7-6 to six lead. And then once you really got into that Maryland bullpen, Nick Dean leaves the game. Ole Miss, like as you mentioned at the top of the show, kind of obliterated what was proved to be a pretty average bullpen there for the Maryland Terrapins. But they made guys work. It's like for the first three innings of that Saturday game, uh, Dean's pitch count looked pretty similar to Savakul's did. You're like, oh, man, this guy's going to be there to the eighth again. But then they started making him work a little bit and got longer at bats. It wasn't a crazy walk thing. I think Dean only walked three hitters. But in those third to kind of fifth innings um, before he exited the game, they kind of started getting his pitch count up and made him work a little bit more. And then when they got into the pen, um, it was certainly advantage Ole Miss. And I think that's probably plays out in why you saw these two games get away from Maryland late on Saturday and Sunday is when they had to go into that bullpen, they didn't have a lot of answers for what was a very good offense. Hell, you had a close game turned into a 10-run rule today, and then Ole Miss wins the Saturday one going away. It seemed like Ole Miss, you know, we talk about all their pitching issues and, uh, you know, bullpen stuff that they've got to get figured out. But on the other side, if you're an opponent and you have some bullpen problems, good luck facing this lineup one through nine. And I think that was the difference this weekend. Um. Look, and I'm not making this team out to be this this comparison yet, but you know what this series felt like last year? 
Um, it felt like the Ole Miss Rebels were the 2022 version of Texas A&M where, I don't know, we got some dudes back there that throw kind of hard. We're just going to score a whole bunch of runs and see what see what happens. Um, and maybe that's who they are. Um, you know, I think it's way too early to, to, to say that for sure, but that's what this series felt like. They just were going to outscore you at all points in time. Um, so, you know, I, I think this offense is really good. And and on Saturday, obviously, you come up with, with some key hits. I thought it was important that, uh, you know, some things went poorly for them and they were, con- were able to, you know, bounce back. Um, I thought there were two really important at-bats um, with, with Harris and Clarko, uh, both hitting balls hard off a left-handed pitcher. I think that's an extremely good sign. I think both of those guys are going to be able to handle lefties really well. And then, obviously, Harris today ends the game well off a left-hander going opposite field for a home run. Uh, Grand Slam, which was an, an awesome sign. Um, so no, I, I thought Saturday was extremely impressive from the offense. And then look, I, there's no need to rehash the pitching all three games. It, it kind of essentially was the same thing all three games. Yeah, it really was. And the thing that was interesting about like the this lineup is, I'm glad you went to Calvin Harris I, when you when talking about this team in the preseason. You knew Calvin Harris was going to be. Uh, the catcher you knew he was going to be a pretty good option at the plate but like if if I told you who are the two guys that are going to drive this lineup I don't think either one of us would have said Calvin Harris I mean Alderman is kind of the option one and then you have your pick of the other guys but he's the hottest hitter on this team well 12 hits through seven games work he's absolutely on fire at the plate and it doesn't appear to be anything that's kind of a flash in the pan I just think he's a really good hitter because he's spraying the ball to all fields he's hitting with power and he's not really striking out a ton either it's been pretty impressive seven games for uh, Mr. Harris back there so far yeah no and it's been really really good behind the plate too um no he's he's extremely impressive his ability to handle left-handers is is great um Look, the kids hit really since he's arrived on campus. Um, you know, That's why he last, played year, last year, yeah, last year he, I, I can't remember what happened. He got hurt at some point last year and went to the bench because some guys had swung it well and he didn't really reappear until, frankly, um, the postseason. And, you know, obviously he swings it well in the College World Series and, um, people forget that almost won that. Um, they did, yeah, they, they did win the World Series. So no, I, I, Calvin Harris. Look, uh, thought it was a, not interesting, but it was a note that Mike switched him and Alderman. Um, Harris had been the four hole, Alderman had been the three. I don't know if there was anything to that, but I did note that today. I, did, I didn't know what that was about. Um, maybe it was just to, to, with McCants back so that they could alternate left, right. I'm not totally sure. Um, but no, look, I, I almost is one. Look, and, and I think Groff's a good player. Um, but he hasn't shown the power that, that these three have. The three I mentioned are the one, three, and four hole. Like, that's a nightmare, one, three, and four. Like, you better be ready to bring it because, man, you, you're talking about a guy that's going to be drafted in the top five picks of the draft, um, Kemp Alderman, who's one of the strongest human beings on the face of the planet, um, and then Calvin Harris, who has shown he's, he's probably a really advanced hitter. It's, um, it's a nightmarish start to a game. I mean, Shaq's hitting in the eight hole. Yeah, and he's hitting nukes. Yes, he is. <laughs> and that, I think that kind of speaks to the depth of this lineup is having a guy like that. And look, it's early in the season, and then once you get into SEC play, you almost have to kind of reevaluate everything you saw in the non-conference play. We learned this year after year, but it just there's not a whole lot of holes. Like I don't know, like even at, you know they had times last year where you know, the bottom of the lineup 
was really just like, all right, let's see if you can get them the next time through when you go through that Gonzalez, Alderman kind of one through fours you just outlined. There just aren't really any holes in this version of the lineup, and they're relying on a couple of newcomers. And, uh, you know, Furnace, I think, got at least – he get all three starts at DHA. He started all three games at DH this year. Um, you know, Colarco, still kind of – I'd like to see it in SEC play, but that's a guy that's had experience in, you know, Power 5 – uh, conference there in the Big Ten. Chase actually had a very interesting note. Calarco had faced that pitcher on Friday yeah. 10 times. You don't really see that often in college baseball where a guy goes to a new school and actually has like a pretty good history against the dude. I thought that was interesting. But I mean, we're I'm, I'm just really kind of talking in circles and reiterating your point, but it's it's a pretty fierce lineup, man. There doesn't really appear to be a lot of holes in it. And you've also got options on the bench that aren't getting regular at best because there's just no place to put them. Yes, I mean, Garrett Wood played in Omaha. He started at third base in the postseason, and he's having trouble. They're having trouble finding at bats for him. Then he comes in and a pinch hits and gets a double. Like they have depth on the bench as well. It's it's a pretty loaded lineup. My favorite thing about Garrett Wood, and and I'm sure he does take reps out there, but I swear to God, they could just pinch hit him at any position and be like, I don't know, he can go out in the field and play it. Yes, like I don't. Has he taken a rep out there? I probably not, but he'll catch the ball. Um. Man, good on that kid too. That that was awesome. On you know, he draws the the shot after the shot near strikeout. He he comes in and just draws a walk. Uh, doesn't try to do too much. And then Gonzalez comes up. Everybody in the stadium knew that Gonzalez was going to get a hit. And then Wood has the double um, to to extend Ole Miss's lead later in the game. He plays a good left field. Um, I think he literally can play every position on the field except catcher. Um, so it's a uh, it's a deep team, man. It's like you said, they, they've got dudes over there that can play, and they're not – I mean, I think Taiwan Malone can play, and my man had one at bat this weekend, and it wasn't even a full at bat. Yeah, he he can. Uh, and notice when the things got chippy, I saw – I did note that you noticed this on Twitter. I don't think anyone was talking uh, talking shit to Malone. I, I don't think that um, was the guy to go after. So I would like the uh, former – or, or uh, the DM sports editor tweeted out a video of, like, the press box version of uh McCants's home run and if you notice um Kemp Alderman after McCants hits home plate is yelling at the uh, catcher and and said catcher had nothing to say to Kemp Alderman to the point Mike Bianco is running out of the dugout to get all this <laughs> you know, Corrales got back to in say to Kemp Alderman and, and Taiwan Malone didn't say a word we uh well you didn't need your left fielder you know getting you know popped with an assault charge or something because i don't think that would have gone well for the catcher who's a to, to be fair is a terrific player oh, he's a great that player gets, it's got a, that gets got a chance to be player of the year in their league i think but uh yeah i, I don't think um that would have gone well for him had that continued and leveled up i need you to put on your investigative reporting hat and and find out what was said between those two between tj and the catcher because i i look i'm terrible at lip, lip reading but i Swear, I thought TJ said, "Go get my ball." I I'd have to look that, into this further. But if we just want that to be true, that's more fun than just about any other possibility. So why not? Just, let's just call it a fact that happened. <laughs> just call it a fact. That's what uh, he said. Again, not reporting, but it's that's what I thought he said. Lip reading wise, I could be way off base. I'm terrible at this. I am not John Boy, but I need that to be true. I need it to be true that uh, actually, no, I'm not gonna say that. Yeah, I needed to be true that uh, he told him to uh, go get his ball. I will say in the video, it is funny when the catcher stands up and he's still like a foot shorter than TJ. Uh, yes, that uh, that made for a more hilarious video as well. And uh, I would say Mr. McCants admired his work uh, decent bit there. He, kind of he did not move for about four or five seconds. You know, you remember when like 
we got on Ole Miss, like I don't know how they how they would survive in a bench clearing brawl. I think they're good now. Yeah, they're good. They're, 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 I think I know what would happen. I would actually question the opponent. Like, would they need an ambulance on hand? They would need, um, probably medical attention. That, Pretty- that, that Vanderbilt series could get fun because Vanderbilt's kind of small, but they like to talk a little noise. That could be, that could be fun. And that could be fun. That's the SEC opening series. Is yeah, not- I'm thinking about going to that actually. It's in Nashville on spring break. That will be fun. That, uh, yeah, that Nashville always a great time as well. One quick note, I, this is just random, and I had this written down from something I thought about this weekend. We were talking about Calvin Harris and you know his hot start to the year at the plate. He's uh he had a tough night on Friday. They kind of wore his ass out with some of those balls in the dirt, but he's played a pretty good catcher um behind the plate as well in the field. One of the things that uh you know Mike's had so many catchers come through the program that you know, if a guy goes out or they need a guy to catch a midweek game, like you never really think about there being much of a drop-off. Is that the case this year? Like could Calvin Harris kind of become more valuable and more important? Because I guess my question would be, let's say Calvin Harris tweaks a hammy or something and is out for a couple of weeks. I don't know. I'm just making up some hypothetical. Who's catching? Kemp Alderman. Um, and I, I think they feel somewhat confident that he's he's an okay backup catcher. And he caught the midweek game and that first inning, I think he maybe let one get by him and he looked kind of uh he looked kind of fired up to be back there, but after that he was pretty good. So you think they're comfortable with him catching? I yes. I I thought I knew the answer to the question, like who would be the catcher, but do you think that would be a problem or do you think they'd feel pretty good about it? Um, I mean, I think they look, they're not gonna feel as good as last year, uh, when Calvin Harris was, you know, Hayden Dunhurst back up or the years before when Cooper Johnson was Nick Fortez's backup or Thomas Dillard. Well, I think that's actually probably the best comp um, is when Dillard was the backup catcher in 2019. Yeah. Um, I think that's actually a good comp. I think they know he could do it um, and they would be serviceable. Now, if it was a season ending deal, that would be scary. Uh, but I think for, for a week or two weeks at a time, it would it would be an it would be an OK thing. Just kind of going through some notes I had from the weekend. Um, Ole Miss shifted a ton more this uh this week than they did last week. And I think that's probably an opponent thing. Uh, Maryland's also an older team. So I imagine they had a little bit more of a sample size from in terms of just sheer data to go off of. But it was something I noticed. And then, look, I'm not about to get into like a shift, anti-shift argument, but it was very interesting. Mike's trying this out this year. On the Friday game, if you notice, it did kind of work to their detriment a couple of times. They got beat, uh, or Maryland beat the shift quite a few times. Um, but Mike was undeterred by it. They shifted again on Saturday. I don't really even have a point to that. It was just something I noticed. They did it a lot more, and uh, Maryland found a couple holes in the shift in that Friday game. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. I had people asking me, "Is like, hey, you think this gets Mike out of the shift? I'm like, I hope not, because um, Friday it got beat a lot. Um, but Saturday it didn't, and Sunday it didn't. You know, the, the reason you shift is because the odds say that, you know, what you're doing is the best case for your team to get out. Well, um, the odds don't say you're going to get it right every single time. It, it's something that you have to do every single time if you want them to work in your favor. So if you stop shifting, basically you've kind of screwed yourself um, because now you're not letting the odds work themselves out. It's, you know, it's akin to, you know, at, at, at the casino, you get 15, you either hit or you don't, right? You get 15 or 16, you either hit or you don't, but you have to do the same thing every single time if you want the probability to work out in your favor. So, uh, they did shift a lot, and and I was glad to see that on Saturday and Sunday Mike continued to do it because I thought it wound up working out for them at times. 
Yeah, it's a great point you make. Like, literally, the worst thing you can do is waffle on it, right? That's kind of what made the bunting thing frustrated way back when, a whole, like, four years ago when Mike used to bunt, was, like, there was never really any consistency to it, and I think that frustrated people more. And, again, I'll be interested to see kind of how often they utilize the shift um, as they wade deeper into conference play, and I'm not really making an argument for or against it. Like I said, it was just really something I noticed, and like you said, Mike stuck with it, and it worked out in their favor a couple times. There was one point on Saturday that I can't remember the exact spot in the game, but it worked out in their favor and actually a pretty key moment in the day, and I was like, score one for the nerds. That was uh, <laughs> that was what you would like show a video of Mike of if you were trying to convince him to shift. I can't exactly remember the context, but it was just something that I found interesting on the weekend. For uh, for the weekend, Ole Miss takes two or three. Maryland is ranked 13th in the country. You know, based on Friday, and I'd say like the first three, four innings of Saturday, my first thought and impression of Maryland was like, hey, these guys are pretty good, right? They got two pretty damn good starting pitchers. They played pretty clean defense, and they definitely have some guys that can rake. But as you got further into that Saturday game into Sunday, I would say I was less impressed with Maryland, and I think it primarily had to do with the arms that they ran out that really were not named Dean and Savakul. Um, but I guess uh, to package that into a question, do you think this win will hold up pretty well for Ole Miss from just a resume standpoint? Not that it really matters because the SEC um, offers you, you know, um, opportunities aplenty, but I'm just curious what you thought of Maryland and if you think they're actually a top 15 team. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, I, th- I think Maryland's the top 25 team for sure. Here's where, you know, you get a little worried and I, I'd have to see. Um, I'd, I'd really like to actually look at last year now. Um, the Big Ten RPIs are not notorious for staying real high um, and helping you a ton. That doesn't mean Maryland's not a very good baseball team, but it just means that usually those teams don't have um, the RPI that, you know, teams that, that down south and, um, to a lesser extent on the West Coast have. So I think it could be a, a series win over a good team that maybe doesn't show up in a top 25 RPI standpoint in June. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And to to kind of uh, 
Uh, add on to that, Kendall Rogers pointed this out on Twitter. You know, Big Ten, not necessarily a strong league. They had a pretty damn good weekend. Illinois goes yeah. down and takes a series from Southern Miss. I think Iowa had a couple wins in that Frisco tournament. Again, that's I don't think it's something that's eventually going to dramatically affect that RPI uh, point you just made. But it is worth noting the Big Ten did have a pretty good weekend and has had a pretty good first two weeks of the season. Yeah, uh certainly has. I'm uh no the 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 um Big Ten is not a bad league. Um, you know, Rutgers could have gotten in last year, thankfully, for all sake, like they did. Wow. It worked out well for the Rebels. What what this program would look like and what we've been discussing now uh might be a little bit different. So um it looks like Maryland's and and now some of this was with postseason play included, so it's not exact science. Yeah. Um but Maryland had a 13 RPI last year. So at the end of the year. So, you know, that certainly would help the Ole Miss Rebels if, if they are able to finish, you know, in the top 25 again. Um, so, no, I, look, I think Maryland's a good team. I think Rob Vaughn is a good coach. I think their hitting coach is one of the better ones in the country. Um, I was thoroughly impressed with their ability to hit. Um, so, you know, I, I no, I think Ole Miss beat a, beat a really good Maryland team this weekend. And as they figure out the pitching this year, that's going to be a work in progress as we've outlined. But in a general sense, maybe not to this extreme every weekend, this is kind of, even if you hadn't had the Hunter Elliott injury, this is kind of the blueprint of this team being successful, right? It's going to be powered by the offense and just getting enough outs and your starting pitching being good enough early in the games, as you mentioned, for the offense settling in. Again, they've got to figure out a lot of stuff in the bullpen, but I thought like this weekend offered kind of a pretty telling blueprint of if this team is going to be very good and be, you know, be in the hosting conversation or national seat or what have you, this is how it's going to look. They are not going to be a team that's going to overwhelm you with pitching. They are going to rely on their offense to score a ton of runs and give a younger, unproven pitching staff a little bit more wiggle room and margin to error with to operate with. Um, yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I don't think this team's going to dominate you on the mound. Of course, I said that last year, and then they found two dudes that just got everybody out. Um, you know, but no, I think this team, if they're going to be successful, it's going to have to be extremely offensive, and I, I think they will be. Um, I, I think that's the the path to success is um, this team being able to score eight or ten runs on Saturdays and Sundays and letting some freshman arms develop and get in and find themselves in the roles. And Rivas did kind of overcome that slow start. I don't think they got as much length out of them as you would like to see, but he didn't completely implode on it. Like they, he kind of came back out and and at least kind of batten down the hatches for a bit, which I thought was a bit of a positive sign on that. The Sunday game got chippy. We, uh, I know we alluded to this a little bit earlier. What did, I was not at the game today. I, I, you mentioned you weren't either, but what'd you, what'd you make of the chippiness and chirpiness? Uh, Chase had made it sound like it was that way to the first two games. Uh, I didn't notice it in the first two games. Maybe it was just an oversight by me, but uh, they got a little mouthy there and you saw a little fire from the Rebels, uh, most namely Mr. Alderman after uh after uh, C.J. McCants admired his work for a bit. What did you make of that? Did you, Is that something you noticed in the first two games? Because I didn't really at all. No, um, I, I kind of picked up on it Saturday. Um, no, I, I, dugout I, was look, fired up on Saturday. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, it, they were. They, they um, yeah, they ran their mouth. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you see that on Saturday and, um, no, it was it was certainly chippy. And look, I don't think Ole Miss. Um, how do I say this? I don't think Ole Miss is one that shies away from chippiness. I think a lot of Ole Miss baseball games get chippy for a reason. 
Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I don't, I don't I think, think it's a reflection of their head coach. He doesn't seem to take a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the perfect way to put it. I don't think the rebels, uh, or one that lays down or uh, ignores um, anything from another team. You will not have the soft conversation with this team when you talk, as you mentioned earlier, like when you talk about like getting off the bus, who would win in a fight, like who's kind of the fire and brimstone guy. That's not going to be a storyline with this team. I feel pretty safe in that assumption. Where did the, uh, where, where did the McCants admiration uh, rank for you? It was pretty high up on the scale. He executed that to perfection. There's always one that sticks out to me. Gray Kessinger took, I have no idea why I remember the specific sequence, but took a kid from Arkansas named Elijah Tress deep in game two of the super regional in favor. Oh, I remember that. And uh, that man admired his work for a while. I would say TJ's is up there. I'm throwing it on the Mount Rushmore of better ones I've seen in recent memory. Yeah. That was no, beautiful. TJ's wasn't, TJ's wasn't the best of the weekend. Did, did you see Calarco's? No. Oh, uh, no, I missed this one. Did Was it better? Oh, my God. Like, it went moonshot. Like, he goes two hands. Like walks halfway down the uh, uh, first baseline and just chunks it up in the air. Um, yes, yes. Oh man, it was it was it was something. Um, so, yeah. I would imagine the uh, the the earlier uh, kerfuffle you had after the McCann thing probably fueled into the Clarko bat flip. Then probably, um, <laughs> unfortunately. Slightly. The camera angle uh, kind of had something in the way of Kalarka's. I wish I could find the video. It was, man. So, yeah, Ole Miss uh, not opposed to bat flipping and admiring home runs. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good weekend to hit at Swayze Field. I do know that. Oh, man, it go. was. balls up. That ballpark was a little bit of a launching pad on Saturday, too. I know the Sunday game definitely turned into that. That was one of the weirder things. You talk about this 10-run rule, and I know it's only technically like a rule for conference play. I was a little surprised they had it the on for this weekend. But I just texted you the Clarko one. Oh, I'm going to look at it now. I, I, I'll have to see this for my own eyes. Um but I was a little surprised that they had the 10-run rule on. But wasn't that kind of a weird sequence today where you're in this <laughs> tight, chippy game, and then all of a sudden it's over after seven innings because Ole Miss's offense just issued a kill shot. Uh, they had two seven-run innings in this game. They scored 18 runs, and uh, 14 of them came in two frames. They had a seven-run third inning that blew the game open. Maryland, to their credit, calls back, and then they took the kill shot there in the seventh inning. But that was just that's not something you see very often, where it's a close, competitive game um, for the majority of, it, and then all of a sudden it just doesn't go nine innings. That was kind of a first for me. I don't remember. Yeah. So, so I thought it was key that Ole Miss gets the zero in the top of the seventh, and and you're thinking then, okay, hey, if they can expand right here, you know, this, this thing's you know maybe too far because they only got six outs left. Um, never, never entered my mind they were going to put up seven again. Um, you know, the announcers started talking about it when Harris comes up. They were kind of joking though. Harris hits another one over the wall, and the game's over. And then he did. Um, so. Yeah, that was uh that was kind of crazy, you know. And I, mean, I know nobody cares, but in high school baseball, that happens sometimes. Like you'll be in the bottom of the fifth inning, and then somebody runs out of pitching, and you're up, you know, seven to three, and then all of a sudden you put up six runs, and you're up thirteen to three, and the game's over because it's ten after five. Um, so my mind, my mind's a little bit trained that that can happen. Um, so it wasn't an overly uh big surprise to me that something like that happened. But but you know when you consider that you know Maryland. I'm not sure if they ever led, uh, but Ole Miss had, had extended the lead out to like six and to four, and then they just kept coming, and then finally Ole Miss just delivers the kill shot. And that that type of seventh inning that you're talking about, like that's kind of what 
Like that's what this offense will afford you if the pitching is good enough, particularly on Sunday games in this conference. Like if you're just good enough for long enough, you can kind of hang in there, right? Revis puts up what I guess that was two zeros before he ran into a little bit of trouble there in the third, but he puts up the two zeros. They get out of it where they only have two runs a lot. I think Maryland was technically up two to one entering that uh, bottom of the third inning, but then the Ole Miss offense just explodes and the kind of trajectory of the game changes completely. Uh, if you want to talk about some struggling bullpen depth, Three of the last four pitchers Maryland put in into the Sunday game did not record an out. That's not Oof. great. That's that. I don't think that's what you want when you when you go to the pen. Three of the last four zero outs. Yeah, and I wasn't overly impressed with the cats they pulled out of the pen um, on Saturday either. So, um, no, that's uh the Terrapins, the Turtles have a ways to go um, from a bullpen standpoint. Again, really good team, thinking swing it really well. Uh, bullpen and, and their guys past Friday and Saturday starters have a ways to go. Absolutely. One of the last things I want to get to before we kind of look around the league and get out of here is we started off this podcast with kind of the pitching conversation. And I think it's the overarching kind of question mark surrounding this team. Mike had a quote uh, I'm reading from Chase's story here after the game. Um, he said, I'm proud of the way we hung in there. We have a lot of new faces in the dugout and we scheduled them to be challenged. That certainly happened. These are the weekends that make you grow up a little bit. He didn't specifically reference the pitching staff there, but that had to be what he was talking about. Sure. Because again, you knew going into the season um, that this was going to be the case. And you know that's before whatever happens with this Hunter Elliott thing happens. And you kind of, you know, the trickle down effect, your bullpen shrinks up because you have to replace them with the starter. I'm with you. This was an interesting weekend. You made a point earlier when we were talking about this, where when they would go to the bullpen, like, you know, by the time you get four or five weeks into the year um, with most of these teams, and oftentimes you can know you can know it from opening day on, you kind of have an idea of like, all right, this is who they're coming to, or it's a guy or two you can guess. Other than Mason Nichols coming to finish that game out um, on Saturday, I, when they went to the bullpen and I didn't have like binoculars, so I was just far enough away where like I couldn't see the numbers. I hadn't, I did not have the slightest clue of who was coming in the game next. And some of that's natural when you're trying to, you know, replace a bunch of dudes off the team last year and try to figure some things out. But that's, I thought that was very indicative of where they are as a pitching staff because I, again, I was like, you could have told me literally any name and I would have been like, sure, I guess that makes sense. I just didn't really have a clue like who was coming out and, I guess to kind of put that into a question, was there anything that stuck out to you like like from this weekend, the good and the bad, was there anyone that you're like, okay, that might be a guy they can use going forward? I had two names that popped into my head immediately, but I'll uh, I'll kick it to you first. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, – I'm not, you know, uh, putting down anyone saying they can't contribute, but I, I didn't see anybody this weekend. Okay, there is one. Um, Sam uh, – uh, What's how are we pronouncing his last name? Takian, I think is how you say it. He yeah. was really good yeah. in that first inning – or excuse me, yeah. the uh, I guess it was the first two innings before he ran into trouble in the third. I thought he actually looked pretty sharp until yeah. it just kind of went off the rails. Yeah, that till, till he blew up, he was pretty good. Um, you know, I think Mitch Morell can be serviceable um, and can provide some depth. Um, everybody else, I'm not saying it's time to give up on them by any yeah, stretch yeah. of the imagination. I'm just simply saying nobody has shown me, oh, they definitely need to be in the bullpen rotation when we get into SEC play. Um, some guys are still going to have to go earn it. So, uh, outside of, outside of, uh, to, uh, I'm not even going to try out, outside of 2K. Um, can we just call him 2K? That would sound cooler anyway. So, so I, you, you or I get a DM from a parent saying, please stop. I'm going there. 
Um, I like it. Toucan. It's a cool nickname anyway. Maybe you get a sponsorship yeah. with the bird or something. I don't know. So Toucan. That That's what we're going with. That's what we're going with. Uh, um, the only so, other name I was going to throw at you was, and he's a guy that I believe pitched twice this weekend. Let me double check. Braden Jones. Wasn't yeah. great by any stretch of the imagination. One and two thirds uh, in the loss on Friday. Allowed one unearned run, one walk, one strikeout. And then I believe he came back in and threw an inning of one hit. He had yeah one inning on today. The la- that last inning puts up a zero allows um two walks and a strikeout they used him twice this weekend and that's a guy that i think if he ends up being pretty good throws really hard that they're really going to maybe rely on in some high leverage spot just with the way his stuff plays that was the only other name i could think of you know i think it is i will say this i do think it is telling that you know the guys they allowed to throw twice this weekend um obviously mason nichols not included because he threw 40 pitches on saturday uh but i do think that 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 where that shows where Mike's mind's at with certain guys that he lets a guy like Braden Jones and Mitch Morrell throw twice. And maybe some of it is they had the off day on Saturday where they didn't throw. Whereas if you brought somebody back on Saturday, on Sunday from Saturday, they don't have an off day. I don't really know. Um, but I do, I, I think that it kind of shows where Mike's mind at was at that he brings those guys in, especially Morrell in, in a close game on Friday and then brings them back on Sunday. Um, so no, I, I think, you know, the, the Tukin and, uh, you know, Morrell and Jones are obviously the leaders in the clubhouse, but I don't, I don't know if either, uh, out, outside of, of Sam, I don't, I don't know if the two guys that other two guys have mentioned have, have shown a ton that gives you a ton of confidence. But I will say going into next weekend, those are probably your three leaders in the clubhouse as far as who comes out of the bullpen in highest leverage situations first, just kind of by default. I think so too, because I think they're going to get tested next weekend again. And then, look, this is not the most optimal scenario of all time. The whole 2020 was that 2021 where it was like Taylor Broadway just get us to the finish line. Uh, Mason Nichols had a multi-inning save on Saturday, but that does appear to be if this Jack Doherty thing ends up being long-term. And I guess I should say the Hunter Elliott thing and Jack Doherty spends time in the rotation. It does appear that because of kind of everything else we talked about, Mason Nichols is going to be kind of that last stand guy where when you give it to him, you're either going down with the ship and he's finishing it out or you're going to win the game and he's finishing it out. Because like I was the same way on um, on Saturday when he came in the game and I know I think it was in the eighth. There was no question that anyone else was coming in. I was like, they're finishing the game with this guy, you know, for better or for worse. And the score ended up kind of ballooning into a six-run game, made it a little easier. But I did kind of get that feeling from this weekend. I don't know if you kind of thought the same thing. Yeah, it felt like that. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's 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 kind of frustrating at times to watch the pitching but because, you know, they're, they're obviously not where you um, want them to be. Uh, but but you don't get them to where they need to be without putting them in games and letting them get this experience. You don't you don't get that experience and the adrenaline and all of that um, by pitching an inner squad. So you've got to put them out there and let them get work. You know. So uh, it look almost won baseball games this weekend without pitching it well or playing particularly good defense. That's always a good sign. So obviously I, I I've said this last year and almost bit my words, but um, I'll say it again this year. I trust the guy in the dugout to get the pitching figured out. Um, he, pretty much for the most part, always does. Yep, he does. And, you know, I talked about last year being his toughest test. Uh, he might have his second toughest test with this one, <laughs> just the amount of unproven dudes. Because outside of Nichols with Doherty in the rotation now, 
again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like there's not even dudes that have really thrown in big spots. Like those, those guys just don't, they aren't really there. I mean, the, the yeah. guys that were there is, you know, a Riley Maddox and a Josh Mallett. And of course they're on the shelf from an injury standpoint. Riley Maddox true, Riley uses Maddox a pinch play. runner. How about that? Yeah. That, that, was, that was a new one for me. That was big brain. This guy can't hit and he can't field. So guess, or, or, or throw. So guess what he can do? He Save can us run. from burning a player. Yes. I actually thought that was very smart. I, I had never I seen that before. Five was pretty creative there. Yeah. The only time, other time I remember a uh, pitcher running was Aaron Greenwood against Texas Tech. Yeah. I think so, uh, that was probably the only other time. I'm trying to think if it's ever. I happened. think Bob Wall ran against Florida one time. Okay. So, so maybe it has happened a few times. I, that's probably Mike's first question when he goes into a home to recruit a pitcher. Can pinch like, hey, can you run? Can you pinch run? All right, cool. Let's 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 do this thing. Come. Hey, to Derek, did Derek Diamond ever pinch run? I feel like you would have been a good pinch runner. Um, he may have made a base running error. <laughs> um, yeah. So Derek Diamond, the last two way player at Ole Miss, um, he did play an inning of left field. I, uh, I you do, could tell me when thing. did that happen? You could tell me that happened in literally any day in any game, and I just go sure. I have no recollection of that. I maybe just memory hold that. Uh, I think it happened in a midweek game, maybe against Memphis. I do yeah. remember my favorite thing was always uh, when Gunner and Doug were here. It's like, yeah, they can hit. I'm like, yeah, they can. Have you seen them pitch? <laughs> like they're not going to wear one in the elbow to go hit. Mike said when Gunner was a freshman that he he goes he won't hit this year, but I do think he'll hit before he leaves Ole Miss. So Mike lied to us. Yeah, that's a good point. Mike Mike did lie. He probably saw Gunner throw ninety five mile hour fastball with high spin rate and was like, actually, never mind. Sorry. Yeah, actually, we we don't need this. Uh, we don't need this kid hitting. So some creative stuff there. And honest to God, I, I, I kind of the last thing on this pitching note is like. Riley Maddox, if he can come back, that's going to be a pretty massive boost whenever that happens. Um, he threw, he's put up like a Instagram or Twitter post or something of him. I think it said fourth straight bullpen at 75%, which is certainly a yeah. good sign. But in all seriousness, it's not something you can count on. Like you can't just say, all right, let's keep this down until Riley Maddox comes back. But that, if, if, if and when he is able to pitch with them this year, that is undoubtedly, you can see it's obvious already. That is going to be a huge boost for them. Certainly, certainly. Um, so. Yeah, no, that would be huge for for Ole Miss if if he's able to come back at the level he was at last year. Um, you know, and then we'll have to see how the injury plays out. And obviously, it's a good ways away. I, I wouldn't expect anything from that realm until more, uh, probably May or so, to be honest. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully that that pans out for Ole Miss because it, it appears that they're going to need all the bullpen arms they can find. Last pitching question I had for you as a coach, Ole Miss walked a ton of dudes this weekend. Um, I think at one point, the, uh, I think it, in like the fifth inning of the Saturday game, they had 10 or 11 walks and three hit by pitches. And it's like, holy cow, that's uh, not what you want. I'd say that would be suboptimal. That was bad. From a pitching standpoint, I know they have, we just, t- we covered very well, like how they have to figure this out and kind of find some guys that contribute and find roles. How do you mitigate walks? Like, if you're going to be bad, I would assume as a coach you prefer to be bad in kind of a different way. Hey, if you're just getting hit and it's not there, it's not there. How do you mitigate walks um, on your pitching staff? How is that? Is that something you can coach or just kind of is what it is? Um. Okay. Well, it, it depends on the. It depends on what kind of walks we are. I know that sounds dumb. Like, if we're spraying the ball all over the place, where well, our mechanics are probably off. Sometimes guys are not don't trust their stuff enough and try to nibble and hit corners where a man like, you know, these are college hitters. I know they're good, but 
I've seen a many a college hitter swing through a hanging breaking ball and miss a fastball down the middle. Um, you know, it, it's different things for different guys. And, and frankly, I thought I thought I saw different cases of of that this weekend. Um, and some guys, you know, they they just lose that rhythm. I think, frankly, here's what I do think: I think the pitch clock forces you to get into a rhythm. And I think that's messing with some guys. Um, I think some guys have their pre-pitch routine where it's, hey, let me walk around the mound, and if I get pissed off. Um, and I think, I'll be honest with you, I think some of that plays into maybe maybe freshmen. Like you look at a guy like the the, the Toucan kid, I'm sorry. Uh, it's Toucan, so that's pissed. his name. And they're going to be so pissed off at me. He kind of starts spraying the ball all over the place. Well, he can't take that moment to step off the mound and recollect himself because that right. pitch clock is running. You know what I mean? Um, so I think some of it's that. I don't know. Um, I don't think Ole Miss is the only person placing this issue. Um, but I, I do think that the walks are up around the country. Um, and, and I think the, the clock, and I'm not saying, hey, take the clock out. I'm just saying that I think that is some correlation to that. Yeah, that makes sense. I never really thought about it that way, but there's definitely something to that because it is a change in their routine and in a sport and in a game and kind of in an action that's, Based on routine, uh, it certainly disrupts it. Last old Miss note before we take a quick look around kind of college baseball and get out of here. One note, and this may be the most important thing we talk about, Dave. What's up with Mitch Morell's hat? Uh, I didn't notice. His blue one. It's not the red one. The, the blue one looks like he fought a war in it. <laughs> it's a completely so not- different color. Like, it's, it's, it's so faded. It looks like he washed it 15 times. Look, if it's his lucky hat, I'm not hating on it. It just... He comes in the game, and I'm like, this guy's wearing a different lid than everyone else. What shade of blue is this? I So I, I guess I'll try to find a photo to send you. But my man looks like he's had that hat on. It's like that hat you've ever had since you're a kid. It's your favorite hat. Your mom's begging you to throw it away because it's disgusting. What 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 goes into that? Is he fading it on purpose? We we need answers here. No, I mean, I, I, in all seriousness, he's he's got longer hair, right? Yes, he is a longer-haired fella. Yeah, so so if he's not changing hats, the sweat and the soft, it's gonna it's gonna fade it out. So, yeah, they probably have money like, in the budget for a new hat. I don't. I think they would be. get him a new hat if he wanted one. It, it, it's probably pretty apparent he does not want a new hat. Um, Derek Diamond needed a new hat uh, when he went to Auburn last year. You remember that? He needed a new everything. He forgot his jersey. We played that hypothetical out where that was. Uh, I'm gonna send you a picture of it. Yes, remember Derek Diamond forgets his jersey and we played out the hypothetical i believe on this podcast of how in the hell you tell mike bianco uh they were going from Siwa to auburn for the sec yeah. opening series if i remember correctly and uh the announcer had a nice nugget on that uh friday night of um uh he forgot his jersey which is that can be a problem he wore a different number that night if i'm not mistaken so just i don't know like uh, that's a wardrobe malfunction this appears to be more of a uh personal choice thing i'm trying to scroll through there's a picture of him from Friday, um, and the hat looks again like he fought a war in it. So, if anyone has answers on my man Mitch Morell's hat, please, uh, please reach out. I would like to uh, understand what's up there. Maybe he's superstitious. Uh, maybe he's like Michael Scott, just a little stitious. I don't know. I just sent you a photo of it. I'm not crazy. It's it's a different shade of blue. That thing has been seen some stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah that thing's seen like, better days. It, and in that oh, photo, can, he's you, sweating. You so it's actually becoming darker as he sweats. It was lighter when he came in the game, I assure you. Yeah, if you zoom in, you can see the uh, you can see the white spots. So, so um, maybe he doesn't need a new hat. Maybe it's a special hat. But I, I, just some big J journalism. I'd like to get some answers on that. Quick look around. You should college. see if you could. You should see if you could interview Mitch Morell and be like, 
just about his hat. I don't care about his pitching. Mike would love that. I haven't showed up at the ballpark in a reporting capacity for three years. If I show up to like a Tuesday practice, one, I think he'd love to see me. And two, I'd be like, actually, I'd like to talk to Morrell. Um, I don't really care about anything he did pitching wise. I just I'd like to talk to him about his outfit, his wardrobe. <laughs> I think uh, I think Mike would absolutely love that. Quick look around the conference here. Um, LSU goes two and one uh, in one of those tournaments. I think it was whatever that tournament D one baseball streaming. Yeah, it was. But the uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes caught him. Big win for the Hawkeyes. Talk about Big Ten RPI. That'll certainly boost one yeah. there so, for Iowa. But they go two and one with the loss to the Hawkeyes out there. I, Iowa has a dude that throws a hundred. That seems fun. He that also does plays seem football. Fun. Can you imagine he plays football? Yeah, he plays football. I don't know what he plays, but he plays football. I thought Ole Miss had cornered the market on football, baseball players, but I guess I am wrong there. Um, can you imagine throwing 100 in that cold weather and you're a hitter and you take one off the end of the bat where it stings your hands? I imagine that would I'm suck. I, I'm done at that point. Like I, I'm going to go do something else with my day. Um, <laughs> what happened to him? Did he tweak a hamstring? Why is he out? Is he going to be out of off? No, he just hurt his hand sting. <laughs> He'll be back. <laughs> we had to get someone else in there. Um, Vandy takes two of three from UCLA. They blank them on a Friday night. They get shut out on Saturday and they win 2-1. A lot of pitching, very West Coast type series there, which I guess kind of makes sense. But they take two of three from um, UCLA's ranked, aren't they? There's 10, 17, somewhere in the country. They're a pretty good club, but that's a pretty good series win for the doors there. Yeah, you talk about Vandy. Um, They have a win now over Texas, Oklahoma State, and two over UCLA. Um, Now, they did lose to Central Arkansas. I'm not sure why they chose to do that. Um, But, yeah, no, Vandy's had four really impressive wins so far. Um, Really, really good resume for the doors thus far. Florida sweeps uh, Cincinnati. Carson Waldrop's really good. Ole Miss better be glad, and they may still have won because, again, Southern Miss didn't score. That ball so hit his ankle or something, Yeah, right? they better be glad that ball hit his ankle. Yeah, that, uh, that kid can pitch. That's a pretty good ad for the uh, for the Gators there in the transfer portal. Kentucky takes two or three from Wright State. I guess congrats to them. I don't really have any thoughts on that. Uh, the only thing I remember about Kentucky baseball this year is in their opening day, they played – Won a road series at Elon. I don't know what the scheduling yes. deal was with that. And they actually lost two to nothing on opening day. That's they uh, did. Um, you want to hear a fun fact about that game? I would love to. Um, so I don't know how many innings the Elon starter threw on that day. I actually would like to look that up, but he supposedly did not throw a pitch harder than 84 miles an hour. Really? Yeah. He was a left handed kid can literally throw it wherever he wants to, sat 81 to 84 miles an hour and uh, beat the Kentucky Wildcats on opening day. So, um, yeah, uh, that's 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 pretty good stuff if you were able to shut down a net look. I know Kentucky's probably not hosting a regional, uh, probably a, maybe an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, he went six innings, gave up four hits, two walks, three strikeouts in that game, um, did not throw a pitch over 84 miles an hour and shut down the Kentucky Wildcats. Good for him. He'll remember that one forever. Um, I was just looking at some of these scores. Georgia sweeps Princeton. Just a quick – this sure. stuck out to me. Georgia's non-conference schedule, um, I'm going to say not a huge test. They have they played Jacksonville State last weekend. They had no midweek game this uh, week. They sweep Princeton. The rest of their non-conference slate is Presbyterian, a three-game set over, I think, at different locations with the whole Georgia-Georgia Tech series, Georgia Southern, and then Charleston Southern. That is the uh, that is the Bulldogs' non-conference slate. Not exactly not really worth the road there. 
surely they play like Clemson in the midweek at some point. That is uh that's not a good non-conference schedule at all. That is like a laughably bad non-conference schedule. God, I was really surprised about that. Arkansas takes two or three from Eastern Illinois, but they Eastern lost Illinois today. gets them twelve to three today. <laughs> hey, Tim. Yeah, that's that's a uh, tough one for uh, Van Horn. Not a uh, not a great day at the old ball yard. Do you have any idea what the hell happened with this Alabama Pepperdine thing? Oh yeah, no. So I I, I do. Alabama and Auburn were supposed to go to Los Angeles and Malibu, um, essentially the same things, I'm sure, um, and play baseball this weekend. But apparently the weather decided that this was going to be the weekend that it rained in um, California and in Los Angeles. So they canceled that. USC actually came to Auburn and played. Um, Alabama, Pepperdine didn't get it worked out. So Alabama played played High Point University this weekend. In just one game. They only played on Saturday. Um, really? Okay. Or no, excuse me, just Friday and Saturday. So they got two in, but I don't see a Sunday game on here. Maybe it's a scheduling oh. thing, but they get two of them. You don't see that very often where the, you have bad weather and they're just like, actually, we're nixing the whole series here. Um, like, <laughs> well, I kind of get it in that realm. You don't want Alabama and Auburn flying out there and literally not playing a game. They would probably be kind of pissed off. They did not play today. That is accurate. Yes. Uh, that's. I thought that was interesting. Um, how about the Texas A&M Aggies fresh off a midweek loss to Lamar. They lose two of three at home to Portland, 10 to three, four to one, and had to eke out a five to four win today. Woof. Yeah. They walked them off today to avoid being swept. Um, not great in college station. Not, 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 not a great start for the week. Uh, Portland, not known as a uh, baseball school either. Uh no, I, I don't think the uh Portland Pirate uh pilots um have a rich tradition in uh college baseball. Um last funny uh scheduling thing for you. What's up with, with what happened in Auburn today? They tied? We had a travel rule come into play? Yeah, with SC. Um so fun thing that happened in Auburn, I saw on the Twitter sphere. All uh USC singled in, they were tied at uh, I believe twelve. And USC had a guy on second with two outs in the top of the ninth, and they hit a single. And the guy comes around and scores, and he did the very stupid thing of not touching home plate. And so he goes to the dugout, and Auburn appeals, gets the third out of the inning. Um, and then Auburn doesn't score in the ninth, and they tie twelve to twelve. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. That's I read I read that on someone's Twitter. Not sure who, um, but it uh, yeah that that happened. I don't get how you don't touch a base. Uh, especially, you know, the home base seems kind of important, but I don't know. Yeah, I would that 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 would drive. Can you imagine Mike having to explain that after a game? Um, <laughs> for the love of God, that would be just very entertaining stuff. Um, the Mizzou Tigers, who had a pretty good week out there in Arlington opening weekend, yeah. they beat Texas and TCU. They take three of four from FIU. You know, you talk about the kind of the bottom feeders in this league. I think you're maybe talking Kentucky. I don't know how good South Carolina is going to be. They'll probably be better this year. But uh, Missouri's looked pretty good early on, and they got a couple of pitchers that can sling it. Yeah, no, Missouri's uh, had arms for a while now. So, um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think Missouri may be okay this year. Maybe this is the year that they, for the first time since they've joined the SEC, wow, what a statement to make. Uh, they make the NCAA tournament. They had one year mixed in there where they kind of got jobbed, and I forget which sure. year that was because I remember sitting at the SEC tournament and the coach doing the stumping thing, and it was like, damn, they kind of got screwed there. Yeah, it was uh, 2019 only, so I actually put them out in a two-to-one game because I remember uh, Mike actually went to bat for them after the game. 
Yeah, he did. I uh, I remember that vividly, as he does most years out there. South Carolina sweeps the uh, Penn Quakers, so congrats to them. Don't have a ton of thoughts on Penn baseball. And I think that kind of rounds out the uh, SEC weekend. So we're two weeks into this thing. Ole Miss going to play uh, Maryland on Friday. You got the tournament up in Minneapolis. Uh, it would be kind of funny that after all this, uh, if they do get into nice old like benches, including brouhaha, that it just happens on a neutral field in the middle of Minnesota. That would be kind of funny. Do you know how pissed off Mike would be on that plane coming back if like half his team got got suspended from a fight with a team that they played four times in seven days? That would just be almost. I would like to know what the Maryland kid said to get ejected too. If you can do some investigative journalism on that. I saw the replay of it. The uh, TV broadcast did a good job of getting the replay up there quickly. It wasn't like a demonstrative Tennessee thing. So to your point, what he said had to be pretty bad because he didn't, he wasn't very exasperated, right? He didn't show the guy up, like throwing his arms up in the air or anything like that. He just kind of moved his mouth a couple times and whatever came out must've been unsatisfactory to the uh, man behind the plate. He did. I I mean, I could not tell that he said you're effing terrible. Like the uh, cat from Tennessee did. Yes. It was not as clear, but like he just kind (laughs) of said something all of a sudden he got tossed. I was like, that seemed a little aggressive. I know you can't particularly in college as players talk to umpires, but like, I mean, it was a very short exchange, and the guy was just like, sorry, man, hit the showers. <laughs> so. You know what was funny? Um, yesterday at the game, I don't know if you noticed this, um, but leaving the game, I don't know how you leave, but I leave the game, and my dad was with me yesterday, so we waited on a golf cart to go back to South Lot. And after the game, this is no joke, like 15 minutes after the game, Maryland is like loading the bus and almost ready to leave. Like, yeah, it tells you, like, they don't have to do media or anything. It, my, my my man from Maryland just, once the game's over, they put on their tennis shoes, hop out, and they are going back to the hotel. They were legit, I bet, at the hotel no less than 30 minutes after the game. I know, I've know i noticed that a couple of times. I guess it's particularly, like, a media thing. Um, Like, if you don't have any traveling media and you have to do a post-game presser, like, you can get out of there pretty quickly. I noticed it one other time where Vanderbilt played here in 2021 – and I was walking out of the stadium with my dad, and they were like loading up the bus. And I was like, "My God, how long did we stay very long after the game?" I was like, "This seems quick." So, I guess after a tough day at the office, sometimes you're just like, "Let's get on this bus, let's get on this plane, and get the hell out of here." But that is quick. Fifteen minutes after the game, they uh they did not waste a ton of time there. They uh they needed to get to get to the Holiday Inn and get get some DoorDash in them. Yeah, no kidding. That was a that was a tough one. Uh, the Terps took one on the chin. I appreciate the time as always, my man. He is Colin Brister, and we'll uh, we'll probably holler to you next Sunday. All right, sounds good, buddy. And that was Colin. Appreciate his time as always. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, making it to the end again. If you're looking for a basketball show, we got Bracken Ray coming down the pipe tomorrow. Then a grill corner with Greg that we recorded last week. So a lot of stuff coming down uh, on the content front on this podcast. Thank you for listening as always, and have a great start to your week.